I understand y'all stopped at uh, verse 15. He told me to do 15 through 19. So we're going to look at that and stuff. Going to be spending quite a bit of time in the Old Testament. Uh, as you know, the, the uh, book of Revelation has been called the crossroads of the, of the Bible because so much of it, it's John's vision uh, actually re- relies very heavily upon uh, previous prophecies and apocalyptic works uh, from the Old Testament. So beginning at, at chapter 11, uh, just kind of as a, as a recap of that, uh, <clears throat> we had the, the fact that there is a temple going to, at some point in time in history, exist uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, there's going to be apparently two of God's, what he calls, witnesses. Um, speculation as to who they are, Elijah, Moses, Elijah, Enoch, Elijah, some of the other prophets. Uh, there's four craftsmen that are referred to in the book of Zechariah. So there's a lot of speculation and stuff as to who, who those individuals are going to be. Uh, my personal preference is uh, Elijah and, and Moses. But again, uh, <clears throat> that's my, my personal opinion of it. Um, this activity is identified as taking place in Jerusalem. Uh, again, it's, it's used as uh, symbolically it's called Sodom and Egypt. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of the, the apocalyptic works use symbolism, metaphors, uh, analogies, uh, and they're not always consistent. So that's one thing you have to kind of keep in mind uh, when you read about one thing in one place. Uh, in that particular part of, of literature, it may refer to one thing. Uh, a few verses later on, it may refer to something else. And you'll see in the book of Revelation a little bit later on, there's actually some that refer to three things within one. Uh, it actually means a, an individual uh, religious system and also a, an empire or a, a confederation. So uh, you'll see that. So <clears throat> just keep that in mind. Uh, Eastern thought, especially apocalyptic thought, Jewish apocalyptic thoughts, not Western thought. So you, that, that's one thing you kind of need to keep in mind, too. Uh, so we have these individuals. They're, they're uh, resurrected or resuscitated, whichever term you want to use and stuff. Uh, God commands them to come up here to heaven. Uh, an earthquake then hits Jerusalem. Uh, if you go to the book of Zechariah, it speaks about a great earthquake that's going to take place at the time that, that Christ returns. So, uh, so that brings us to the uh, <clears throat> verse 14. It says, the second woe is past, which is, is the sixth trumpet. And the sixth trumpet contains the, the, the uh, second woe. <clears throat> he tells us that the third woe is coming very soon. And the third woe is, woe is contained in the seventh trumpet uh, judgment. So... <clears throat> um, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. Now, we need to take and already back up and go to Revelation uh, <clears throat> chapter 10 and verse 7, and I'll read it to you. You don't have to flip back there, but Revelation verse <clears throat> chapter 10, verse 7, it says, But in the days <clears throat> when the seventh angel is to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God will be fulfilled as he announced to his servants the prophets. So what is the mystery? That's the first thing we got to come up with. So that's one thing when you're reading this. Uh, <clears throat> some of the stuff you can speculate on, a lot of it's already been defined for us. If we go back to the book of Daniel, 
chapter 2, it's going to tell us, uh, <clears throat> it's going to give us the information we need to find out. Daniel chapter 2, and I'll read it to you, uh, verse 28. And it says here, and this is Daniel the, 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 in the Babylonian exile. He's talking to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has, uh, occupies a very unique uh, position in, in history in that God revealed him kind of the outfolding or the unfolding of, of future events. Anyway, this is what Daniel says. But there is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries. And he has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. So this mystery is an unfolding of events that are going to, to, to occur with the culmination of history, of Gentile history, uh, when God comes in and sends the Messiah uh, or, or Jesus or Jesus returns uh, to do that. To, to take and fulfill that. So the mystery is, the again, how God has, in his economy has kind of laid out historical things, things that are going to occur, and, and ultimately um, the, the culmination of history. <clears throat> so, when the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven. Now, as I recounted for you just earlier as a recap, the, the previous 14 verses are occurring on earth in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem. This is a transitional uh, point or pivot point in, in the story of Revelation or in, in John's unfolding story to us, <clears throat> uh, beginning at, at this particular verse, at this particular part of the chapter. And realize that, that when John wrote this, he didn't sit down and write chapter 1, verse 1. This is all mechanical stuff that humans have put in to take and make it easy to easier for us to find where we are. So this is just, imagine it's one just long, continuous body of work and to make it easy to go find the part that you want. So that's the reason it has numbers and chapters and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, but from this point on to what we call chapter 19 is uh, revealing here the, the events that are going to occur, uh, the various judgments that are going to, to occur with the overthrow of human governments, if you will, return of Christ, coming of the ancient one, establishing God's kingdom on earth. Uh, as, we, uh, <clears throat> as we said, again, he's already alluded to, John's already alluded to the fact that the, part of this occurs in three and a half years. Um, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9 and stuff, it actually outlines that there's a seven-year time period. It's recurred to the 70, 70 weeks of, of Daniel. In Hebrew, week is Shiva, means seven. We use it the same way that, that, or it's used the same way in seven years. Same way as we use the word decade. If I say decade, you know I'm talking about ten years. In Hebrew, Shiva means a seven-year time period. So there's one seven-year time period left in history. Uh, and, and when it begins, again, according to Daniel 9, is when this character that we eventually become, becomes known as the Antichrist signs some kind of confirmation of the covenant with the nation of Israel. Um, that's, that's when God begins his, his time clock. The first three and a half years of the, of the tribulation apparently, apparently don't appear to be all that bad. There's a lot of jockeying things that take place and whatnot. <clears throat> it's in the midst of, of the tribulation, halfway through, three and a half years. Again, Daniel 7 or Daniel 9, 27 tells us in the midst of the week, that, that this Antichrist character is going to cause 
uh, sacrifices and the oblations to cease. So again, that tells us there's going to be a, a temple built. Uh, it's going to be a functioning temple, and things are going to be going on there until three and a half years into it. One thing, I, I get the Jerusalem Post. I like foreign newspapers to find out really what's going on in the world, <clears throat> especially in the Middle East. And there's always a weekly portion there that's written by a rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel Rabinsky. And he is the, <clears throat> he's the rabbi of the Western Wall and the Holy Sites. So he always has some, some little uh, teaching and stuff out of, out, of, uh, out of the Old Testament. But I, I brought this along, just, just a quick little blurb here so you kind of get the, the idea of we as Christians look forward to this, this temple and the events that are going to occur and stuff. But this is from the rabbi that actually is there at the Western Wall and stuff. And he goes, how symbolic is it that the promise given to Jacob at the site where the later temple would be built, the Temple Mount, there in Jerusalem, the, the Dome of the Rocks there now, the site where the great hope flourished that filled the hearts of Jews in exile. This is the site to which until today we look towards with anticipation of the rebuilding of the temple. So it's a real world thing. It's not just something that we read about in the scripture and think, oh, you know, uh, that's kind of nice and stuff like that. It, it's, it's a real world aspiration for those Jews who are religious living there in Jerusalem. So, and the vast majority of all the stuff that we read about occurs in and around Jerusalem. Yep. Yep. Right. Not sacrificing now. There's a a group uh, called. There's actually two two groups and stuff. Uh, the Temple Mount Faithful, and there's the other one that's something, Temple Mount Institute. But they've actually built, manufactured, according to the Old Testament um, guidelines and stuff, all the instruments and things that they need to actually start temple worship again. There's a group of koanim, the, the priests and stuff, they're actually training them and, and to go in through the rituals and all that kind of stuff. They're in Jerusalem, of course, we don't hear about it because it doesn't, you know, doesn't amount to us. But each year, they have a water-pouring ceremony that they do down um, there in Jerusalem. Again, it was part of the old temple worship system and stuff. So <clears throat> anticipation's there. They're kind of getting things. And, and one of the rabbis I was reading about, uh, reading uh, some of his articles and stuff, was saying that he goes, it's kind of like an army. He goes, you have an army, and you train, and you train, and you train. <clears throat> So when the time is appropriate, you have to go to war, you're ready. He goes, we're doing the same thing, except it's from a religious standpoint. They've got the priest, the robes, and all that kind of stuff and whatnot. So and you can actually go there and tour. They've got a little uh, museum-type thing you get there in Jerusalem. You can go and, and tour it and stuff. So, yeah, but they're, they're serious about it. So, Okay. <clears throat> We're going to be serious, too, here. I'll, I'll move on. And the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and I've got my alarm set, so I'm, I'm talking for 45 minutes, so when it goes off, then. <clears throat> uh, there were loud voices in heaven. So, again, we've, we've transitioned from the, the activities that we just talked about that are happening on earth in Jerusalem and stuff up to a heavenly scene now. And this is what occurs then. He says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and forever. You got to know, you, you, we, we need to define what the kingdom of this world is. 
So again, it's not something that we can let, that's left to conjecture. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, in <clears throat> chapter 7, chapter, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 11, chapter 12, it actually tells us. And I'm going to give you the shorthand version. We're not going to flip there and, and read all of it and stuff like that because I don't want to spoil it because this actually comes a little later on, chapter 12, 13, 14, and 16 in Revelation. So I don't want to, I'll just give you the shorthand version. If you want to talk to me afterwards, we can take a look at it uh, uh, together. But apparently, in the end time, there's going to be one uh, basic economic, religious, and um, political superpower. it appears to be a confederation of, of ten, ten nations uh, that it's referred to in several different places as a beast. It's referred to as, as part of a, uh, uh, a, a great uh, statue. Uh, it's called the Scarlet Beast. It's also referred to in, later on in Revelation as uh, Mystery Babylon. So again, he tells us the uh, real-world things that are, that are going to take, uh, take place that... Uh, that you can kind of keep an eye out for. Um, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Let me take and quickly read from Daniel chapter 13. This is Daniel speaking. And Daniel says this. He says, In my visions at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all peoples, nation, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. He then goes on, Daniel goes on to say a little later on, he goes, um, this is him speaking, he goes, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath what we call the tribulation. He goes, I'm telling you what's going to happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the vision is, but it, it has to do with these, these world entities or these world empires um, um, historically and stuff. And again, it's the one that I, I said that, that at the end looks like there's going to be a ten-nation confederation um, that, that, uh, that takes place. So again, I don't want to spoil it because that would be tipping the hand and stuff, so we don't want to do that. So for right now, you just have to take my word on it that, they're, they're, that that's what he's talking about. The kingdom of the world is this great Gentile power that's going to take in and uh, come into being. In the past, back in the 1970s or so, when the European common market was coming together and stuff, they, the Bible prophecy students said, aha, you know, it's going to be the European common market and stuff. Part of that was based on the fact of out of Daniel 9, 27, it talks about the, the prince that shall come from the people who destroyed the temple. Well, the Romans were the ones who destroyed the temple. Uh, my personal belief is that it's going to be a central European power, um, one based on the fact that most of Western society is based upon Roman and Greek law. Uh, uh, we have the Senate. That was a term that was used in Rome. Most of our laws, if any of y'all are lawyers in here, if you look at most of the, the uh, terms in law, they're in Latin. Uh, so the, the, just kind of the, the, the fact that, that uh, several things, and again, going back to Daniel, and I won't, I won't 
chasing the rabbits for that. But it seems to be a Central European power of ten nations, Germany being one, one part of it, uh, Italy's going to be a part of it. Um, so, but, but anyway, but this kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. It will reign forever and ever. Um, <clears throat> hang on, just say it. Let me take and check one thing here real quick. Oh, okay. Here it is. I skipped over this last part. I, I, I forgot to, to take, take this. He says, I'm going to tell you what will happen in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. And then he says, in the latter, latter part, um, no, that's not what I wanted to say. 720. One. Excuse me. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Excuse me. It's 26, not 21. Uh, he goes, but the vision of the evenings and the mornings has been given to you is true. So seal up this vision for it concerns the distant future. So again, from the time of Daniel to the time that we would be sometime in our future um, is, is when the, these prophecies out of 2, 7, and 9, uh, and 8 uh, go with it. Okay. Now, I will tell you this too. Uh, this is the, the seventh trumpet. Some individuals at this point in time, there's some, some of the folks in some of the prophecy students and whatnot believe that what we call the rapture of the church occurs at this time. They base that solely on the fact that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, uh, when he's talking about the translation of the saints and stuff, he goes, at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound. So they equate what Paul talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians with, with the, the, the seventh trumpet and stuff. May occur, it would be at mid, midpoint in the tribulation, that's not the view that I, I think the Bible teaches, but some people believe that, that that's what it is. And that's okay. That's okay. So I, I want to be fair on all points and let everybody know that, that uh, we, touched, we touched all the bases and stuff. Verse 16 says, Then the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. The 24 elders, I believe, is an indication or is, is symbolic of the Old Testament saints, the 12 tribes of, of Israel, the righteous Jews who were looking forward to a Messiah coming. They had faith in a Messiah, just like uh, John's been talking about the heroes of the Bible, Abraham, and you go to the book of Hebrews, and it talks about all these, these Old Testament folks that had faith. Well, they had faith in that there was a Messiah that was going to come. That was deemed righteousness in their, in their sight. Jesus hadn't come yet, hadn't died and stuff, but again, uh, it was, it's looked upon as righteousness. That would be the 12 of the Old Testament. The 12 for the New Testament would be those of apostles. And again, we're told that they're symbolic of the Old Testament uh, patriarchs. So the righteous of the, the other 24, the other 12, would be those people who have come to Christ from the time that 30 A.D., 33 A.D., uh, whenever Christ was died and resurrected, they professed faith or had faith in, in Jesus. So you got the combination Righteous Old Testament saints, righteous New Testament saints. So I think that's uh, the, uh, who the 24 are made up of and stuff. It says that they sit on their thrones. So they are, again, they have been rewarded by God. They're sitting on their thrones. It also told other parts of Revelation that they have crowns, that they cast down their crowns before uh, God to take and worship him and stuff. So these, these individuals are some of those who have been rewarded. 
And so they fell down on their faces and they worshiped God, singing, We give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who are, who are, and who were. And what's the other part supposed to be of that that we studied earlier? Who was, who is, and who is to come. Notice that that verse is missing. Okay, we'll go back to, to uh, the very first chapter of Revelation when we started this journey. Revelation chapter 1, verse, beginning verse 5. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests uh, serving with God the Father. Glory and dominion forever and ever. Look, he's coming with the cloud and everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes on the earth will, will mourn because of him. <clears throat> I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Here's the key. He who is, who was, and who is to come. At this particular thing, it says he who are, who were, and for you have begun to take your great power and have begun to reign. So again, it's a transitional time period. It's not the anticipation of him coming. It's occurring right, at, right then and there during this, this blowing of the seventh trumpet. So all these events that are, that are going to take place uh, actually fall into fairly rapid succession and stuff. Now, <clears throat> again, it's going to be over about a three-and-a-half-year time period and stuff, but that's fairly rapid in, in God's plan. So... Um, Again, from chapter 11 to chapter 19, beginning verse 15 and stuff like that, you have the next series is just a, a reiteration of, of all these events uh, that are going to take and transpire that deals with the, with the, the coming of Christ. So um, you've taken great power and have begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath has come, and the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and all who fear your name. In the Revised Standard Version and stuff, it says, to your own people. In the, in the Old Testament, they're referred to as the Am Kodesh, they're saints. Uh, and that's the same terminology that's used in the Old Testament. And all those who fear your name. Again, those who are not of ethnic Jewish uh, extraction and stuff, but those who are Gentiles who have come to fear the Lord, have, have come to Christ during this time period. Um, if you look at this, and again, it, there's what's referred to as the Yom Kippur motif that's, that's in here. The Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement. And that, traditionally in Jewish history, is when God judges individuals. Uh, it was the day that the high priest went into the, the uh, Holy of Holies, the one time of the year when he could go in the Holy of Holies, sprinkle blood on the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, remove, collectively remove the sins of the nation and stuff. Traditionally, the Jews said, well, that's the time that God decides who's going to live for the next year and who's not. So judgment, judgment comes and stuff. So a lot of, there's, again, the, the, to me, the book of Revelation is very heavily uh, laden in Jewish thought, Jewish tradition, um, a lot of stuff that, that kind of goes over our head as Christians because we're, we're not uh, brought up in, in that particular, especially in this time period, uh, some of the, the uh, intricacies or, or nuances of, of, of what's being said. 
If you look at it too, uh, Psalm chapter 2 and stuff, um, it, this is basically what's called a midrash, a teaching from the second Psalms. When you look at second Psalms, it talks about the nations raging, their anger with God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and, and this is basically a paraphrase of that particular Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 2. Also, you might, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot down Psalm uh, 118 too, because this is some of this is information that's taken from that too. So, the nations rage, but your wrath has come. It's time for judging the dead. Again, this is that Yom Kippur idea of the Day of Atonement. For rewarding your servants, the prophets, and all who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Again, if we, we take and we go back to, to Daniel, um, I'll take and read a passage out of this. This is Daniel 7th chapter, beginning verse 9. And this is uh, Daniel speaking. He says, And I watched... And thrones were set in place, and an ancient one, this is God himself, took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Again, this terminology that we, we saw early, early on in the book of Revelation, the exact description of, of God. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out of his presence. Thousands of thousands served him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood attending him. Now again, remember this uh, verse 7, that we're, or uh, seventh trumpet, that this is taking place in heaven. So again, what we're seeing here is, is a reiteration or a confirmation of, of what John is seeing. <clears throat> he goes, the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened, he goes, and I watched because the noise of the arrogant words that the horn, and this is the Antichrist, was speaking. And as I watched as the beast, and again, this is that political empire that I was talking about, this ten-nation uh, confederation of individuals, was put to death, its body destroyed and given over and be, to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season of time. These are the other nations that are confederated with it. So you just have to take my word for that for right now. Uh, we'll find that out later on in, in other parts of Revelation. And Daniel says, and I watched in the night visions and I saw one like a human being or the son of man. Again, it was a moniker that Jesus used most often about himself. He called himself the son of man more than, than any other uh, nickname in, in the New Testament. The son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient one and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and kingship. And all the peoples, the nations, and the languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Um, <clears throat> it then goes on to say, um, and as I looked, this horn, meaning the Antichrist, made war with the holy ones. These are the, the individuals who are Jewish, Jewish believers, and Gentile believers. <clears throat> and he was prevailing over them until the ancient one came. Then judgment was given for the holy ones of the Most High. And again, we, if you look back in the first part of, of 11, it talks about the, the, uh, the beast making war against the, pro, uh, the, the two witnesses, killing them, etc., etc. Well, that's really when the persecution of, of, of the Jews and, and uh, believers begin the, at that, that midpoint in the tribulation. Anyway, uh, 
Then came the judgment was given for the holy ones of the Most High, and the time arrived when the holy ones gained possession of the kingdom. So again, it coincides with what Daniel's, or what uh, John is telling us about. This next part we won't read because that goes into uh, Revelation uh, chapter 13. So, and again, I don't want to tip my hand on it stuff. I'm just having to be very vague with y'all tonight. So, it's like setting the hook. Like, it's like on those newscasts, you know, when they tell you a little bit because they know you're going to have to stay around through the commercials so you can see what they're talking about on the other side. That's the way I want to be tonight. So, <laughs> give you a, a, little, a little bit of stuff. Okay. Okay. Um, then, then God's temple in heaven was open. So again, we see, remember, the first part of, of chapter 11 is an earthly environment where it's real world things going on. This is where up, uh, uh, John has made us privy to what's going on in, in the throne room, up in, in heaven. He said, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy, heavy hail. And those are manifestations. Again, you go back in the Old Testament. Um, when God comes to Mount Sinai, the very same things. Hey, there's rumblings and peals and lightning and thunder and stuff. It's a, it's a manifestation of God's presence and his power uh, that, that's there. Um, let's go to, let me read real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We All right, this is Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. It says, in your distress, he's talking to the Jewish people. Uh, in, the, in their distress, it's, it's also known as the time of wrath. We as Christians, we call it the tribulation or the great tribulation to be real specific about it and stuff. It's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble. There's just a whole list of different things that refer to this, this last three and a half year time period uh, in history and stuff. Anyway, in your, in your distress, talking to the Jewish people, when all these things have happened to you in the time to come. So again, he reiterates it. So again, there's a lot of persecution and bad things are going to be happening during this time period, uh, the last three and a half years. He goes, <clears throat> uh, when all these things have happened to you in the time to come, you will return to the Lord your God and will heed him. Because the Lord your God, and he uses his personal name here, Yahweh, uh, the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will neither abandon you nor destroy you. He will not forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them. And the covenant is the key part there. Again, we see at this time the seventh trumpet, God's temple's open, and what is there? The ark of his covenant. So again, it's just a reiteration uh, a renewal, if you will, of the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob way back then. Moses, uh, he was, Moses was commanded to have the, uh, uh, the ark made, again, as a visible outward sign of God's covenant with, with, with these people. So, uh, so we have it there. Now, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there's, if, you watch, if you watch the History Channel or some of these other religious channels and stuff like that, uh, from time to time they'll have a thing on there, you know, in search of the Ark of the Covenant. So have any of y'all seen any of these? And they're, they're kind of, there's a whole, whole uh, uh, kind of a cottage industry on, on videos and books about, you know, finding the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, uh, but uh, actually in, in the book, we don't have it in our Bible, uh, 
It's a book called Second Maccabees. It's, it's in the Apocrypha. If you have any, any uh, Catholic friends, you might borrow their Bible because Second Maccabees is in, is in the Catholic version of, of the Bible. Second Maccabees, chapter 2, um, and it, it talks about the fact that uh, Jeremiah the prophet, at the time that, that he was alive and stuff, that he had taken the Ark of the Covenant, had moved it to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, hidden it in a cave there, and that it would remain there until the, the end times, till Messiah came and stuff. And then at the end times, it would be revealed. So um, there's a other legend, if you will, that one of the uh, pharaohs, Shishak, uh, from Egypt had captured it because it says that he had taken the treasures of the temple back to Egypt. So anyway, those are just kind of fun things to take in, in, and read about and whatnot. So uh, do I put any stock in them? No, but it's just kind of fun to read. So <clears throat> all right. Uh, the, the temple in heaven is open. The Ark of the Covenant is seen within the temple. So again, uh, we have a confirmation of, of God's uh, covenant with his people. The other thing, too, that's kind of interesting, you're going to read about it later on in, in the book of Revelation. It talks about a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven and stuff. The Jews, uh, the Orthodox Jews, believe that there is a heavenly Jerusalem that is invisible, hovering right above present-day Jerusalem. Uh, so it's sometime in the future, again, which kind of coincides with, with the scriptures that, that we as Christians embrace, that there's a new Jerusalem, uh, that he sees a new Jerusalem coming down and stuff. So uh, that's kind of interesting, too. And again, the manifestation of, of the flashes of lightning, the rumblings and the peal of thunder, an earthquake and heavy, heavy hail as um, being a manifestation of God and stuff. So, so we can stop there. It's one thing I'd like to take and just read to you because you know we we take and we study the scriptures. We see them in one in one way. Again, this is how the Jerusalem Post. It was a letter to the editor, written by a gentleman, a uh, Jewish gentleman, and um, he is uh, from one of the Orthodox. Um, the Chabad, I don't know if y'all are familiar with that. Uh, you see the guys with the, the little funny beaver type hats and stuff and the black coats and the, the white, yeah, that, well, that, this guy belong, would belong to that sect of Judaism and stuff. It's called Chabad. Um, first came about like in the mid-1700s, something like that. Ultra-Orthodox, they had certain views and stuff. But he writes this letter to, to, uh, to the editor uh, and I thought well, it'd be kind of fun just to take and read this to you, so you can kind of see some of the parallels uh, between Judaism and Christianity, even though they use different terminology than what we're accustomed to. So, if it's okay with you, all, I'm going to read this to you and stuff, and I'll take and stop and make comment. One thing that has always been a paradox between Judaism and Christianity is the person of Jesus Christ. The, the ancient rabbis realized that there, there was two roles. Uh, there was a suffering servant out of, out of Isaiah, the suffering servant, chapter 53. Uh, and then they also saw, well, there was a King David individual, this, this conquering Messiah. So the paradox was, how do you reconcile the two? We as Christians see Jesus as one individual with two separate roles. Judaism sees two separate individuals with one role, 
being a Messiah, but two, two separate individuals. We as Christians, we reconcile it. There's one individual. He came 2,000 years ago in the suffering servant. He's going to come sometime in the future as the, the, the son of David, the conquering uh, Messiah and stuff. So anyway, this, this kind of goes along with this. And uh, so, again, I'll make comments and stuff. If you have a question, if I read something and you go, I don't understand that, let me know. And I'll, I'll, if I can, I'll explain it. Um, this rabbi that, that the, the Rabbi Shmuel Rebowitz, he, he, each week he takes and he, he has a portion of the Old Testament, he, he does a teaching on it. This guy is writing in reference to a couple of those teachings, so that's, that's the way it starts out. He goes, the story of Joseph, um, and it, which was the test of brotherhood, Judaism, December 14th. That was the article that, w- that was in the Jerusalem Post. The story of Joseph reminds us of how both matriarchs, Rachel and Leah, the, remember those are Jacob's wives, two of, his, two of his four wives, Rachel and Leah merited to each produce a messianic descendant who will participate in the redemption of Israel. So again, the, um, <clears throat> Joseph lives on and King David of Israel is alive and vigorous. Again, that was another, another uh, article that they had written. The Messiah ben Joseph, or Messiah son of Joseph, will be from earth. His goal will be to confront the Edomites, the Edomites. And if you'll remember those, that the Edomites were those people who descended from Esau, which was Jacob's twin brother. Uh, Esau kind of got the shaft from, from Jacob and stuff, and they've been kind of enemies. So um, the Edomites are those who are enemies of Israel. And if you listen to anything of the Middle East and stuff, sometimes Netanyahu, whenever he talks, he talks about the Edomites and the Amalekites and stuff. And he's, he's, he doesn't mean that those, he's not talking about those ancient people. He's talking about individuals who are modern ed- enemies of Israel. That's who he's talking about. So same thing here. So don't get hung up on that. He's not talking about ancient people. He's talking about uh, modern enemies. Um, the Edomites would be in the area where modern-day Jordan is today. That's where Edom was, over in, kind of in that area, if you're familiar with the Middle East uh, topography. So the Messiah, son of Joseph, will be from earth, and his goal will be to confront the Edomites. And the Messiah, ben David, son of David, will be from heaven, whose goal will be to confront the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites, as you'll recall, uh, Ishmael was, was Abraham's uh, son through Hagar, uh, Historically, traditionally, Ishmael is the, the patriarch or the father of the Arab people. So, um, so by extension, this particular um, King David, Messiah bin David, uh, would confront the, the Ishmaelites, the, the Arab slash Muslim community of the world. So um, the Edomites would be non-Arab non-believers. So you, you've got the two. <clears throat> and the Messiah ben David will be from heaven, whose goal will be to confront the Ishmaelites. Together, they will, make, they will take on a still greater foe, the disloyal traitors of the mixed multitude. And again, I don't want to throw too much out there, but he's, what he's referring to, again, is out of the book of Daniel. It talks about uh, uh, that this conglomeration, this ten nation and stuff, will be a, of a mixed multitude of, of people. Uh, different cultures, uh, d- 
different religious beings, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what he's talking about here, the mixed multitudes, a reference out of the book of Daniel uh, that, that he's talking about. So again, it, it's interesting that we see Jesus in, in the, the, both of these roles, whereas they see two different individuals basically in the same role of, of confronting God's enemies. So then he goes on to say, 40 years before Messiah ben David, or the son of David, there will, be a, there will appear the Messiah ben Joseph, who will be slain by the king of Persia in Jerusalem. So again, uh, uh, looking at it in the, from, from an Old Testament standpoint, we would say that was Jesus slain 2,000 years ago. Uh, the, uh, the king of Persia, Persia now is modern-day Iran. But anyway, he's going to be killed in Jerusalem and stuff. Well, who was that? Who was the world power at that time? It was the Romans. So, again, you look at it and it goes, well, you know, that, that fits. So 40 years before or a generation before the Messiah, David, there will be a peer, the uh, Messiah ben Joseph, who will be slain by the king of Persia in Jerusalem. Then he will be resurrected. So, again, that fits real close. Different terminology, different name, different timeline and stuff. But, again, it, it, it coincides with what? Pretty much what you and I believe. Other scenarios would have him being killed by an anti-Messiah or Milius. This is what we call the Antichrist. The Jews uh, have, had, have come up with a name of Armelius is the, the term that they've used, like, uh, like a first name basis and stuff. We just call it the Antichrist so, or anti-Messiah. Anyway, and he will rule from, from the Gaza area. Again, we're looking at the Old Testament. It tells us that... Uh, that this Antichrist character is going to come and pitch his tent there in Jerusalem in, in the Holy Land. So again, it, it very, it's very, very close in, in uh, thought as to, to what we understand as, as Christians and stuff. Then he goes on, this is a quote, um, The Lord will return us to the land of Israel, even if we are sinners and devoid of repentance. And there, will be set, there we will be beset by troubles and distress, this will catalyze the appearance in the Galilee of a military leader from the seed of Joseph, whose task will be to rebuild the third temple. So, so again, I gave myself a snooze. I got eight minutes, 57 seconds. Uh, so, again, very, very similar. Where did Jesus come from? He came from the Galilee. So, again, they're, they're interpreting the Old Testament in, in a similar vein to what we understand Jesus' role was. Uh, <clears throat> that he'll rebid the third temple. And then he goes, may we soon witness the four craftsmen of Zechariah 2, the Messiah ben Yosef, the Messiah ben David, Elijah, and the righteous high priest. And these are the, the Elijah and this righteous high priest would be the two witnesses uh, that, of Revelation uh, 11. Um, let's see. Though not through Jewish shame and a debocular belated redemption in its time, and he makes reference to Isaiah chapter 60. But one coming in haste, again from Isaiah, through a speedy and glorious Jewish victory. So again, basically the same thing that we're saying, just in different terminology, in different timeline, uh, uh, as far as the, the culmination of, of history, of the things that are, that are going to take place. 
<clears throat> so I thought that was going to be interesting and stuff. Like I said, I like to keep up with what's going on in, in the Middle East. And from time to time, you come across these little pearls like this. So um, 